Hello, everyone. My name is Ian Rowe. And I'm Nike Fajors. And welcome to The Invisible Men, where we make the achievements of incredible men invisible no more. Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of The Invisible Men. My name is Ian Rowe, resident fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. Hello, I'm Nike Fajors, a member of the Leadership Network at AEI. Uh, Nike, as always, good to see you. Good to see you, my brother. Um, yeah, and uh, our our viewers know that we're all about highlighting black excellence, trying to introduce uh, our viewers to amazing uh, men that you might not know, but are just doing some really great work. And today we have the pleasure of speaking with David Mahan. Hey, David, what's going on? Hey, it's a pleasure to be here. I've been looking forward to this. Yeah, it's good to see you, man. So David, you are the policy de director for the Center for Christian Virtues and the founder of Frontline Youth Communications, which you'll, you'll tell us about. Um, but, you know, we, we always like to start with, you know, backstory. And I know, by the way, you have a big uh, anniversary coming up. So we're, we're going to have to talk about that, too. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but before you were the David Mahan of today, um, tell us a little bit about yourself, where you are, you know, any um, um, sort of change of life experiences that, that put you on a particular track? Man, uh, we, uh, well, I'm from central Ohio, you know, uh, go Bucks out here in uh, Columbus, Ohio. And so we, um, my, uh, my wife and I are about to celebrate 27 years in marriage. And um, we, we, congratulations. Yeah, thank you. We, uh, we started out really rough. And, um, you know, a lot of times folks will talk about what university they went to or what professor got them on the right track. We were teen parents, right? We were kids that messed up in the church. And uh, and uh, thought that it was over at 18 years old because of the consequences of our behavior and uh, the hand of God reached down and, and uh, just put regular people in our path and, and turned our life around. We uh, I was 18. She was 19. And um, uh, finally, uh, you know, I gave her a wedding ring on, on New Year's Eve. She gave it back on Christmas Eve because her grandmother which was probably a true prophet, uh, but never had the title, uh, told her that two wrongs don't make a right, baby. And, um, and so she got herself together with the Lord. I got myself together with the Lord. And, and uh, we got married April 17th and, uh, you know, which is tomorrow. And that'll be 27 years. But man, it was it was crazy. I, I made less than eleven thousand dollars the first year of our marriage. Uh, you know, moved into inner city Columbus, Ohio. Um, we were you lived on love. You lived on love. Yeah, that's what it was. I mean, homeless for the first uh, two and a half years, living with family, uh, baby girl in the bottom drawer of a dresser with a pillow and some blankets because we couldn't afford a crib. You know, no Winnie the Pooh, uh, you know, mobile or, or night light. She had a she had a big orange strobe light from the grocery store across the way. And uh, and, and after our little honeymoon to to the Ohio River uh, in, uh, in Cincinnati, Kentucky border. I put my wifey in the bed that uh, my uncle Richie died in just a few a few months before. And, uh, and, and, you know, every day it was killing me doing the right thing was killing me. And, um, and, and I said, man, Lord, how can I, how can I get through this when I'm trying all I can do uh, to be a man, to do the right thing, but I've never had a father to show me or train me um, on how to do so. And so we just uh, we figured it out, man. We got into a good church and um, uh, put our kids in uh, in kindergarten. And the teacher told us that, that we probably need to take them out. 
Uh, and then we, we got the grade card. Our, our school districts have to give a grade card. And you, you probably know all about this, Ian. But uh, they were failing every area but the passing rate. And, uh, and, and so my wife and I could not make the choice to send our kids to, to schools that were worse than the detention centers I was working in uh, uh, as a volunteer in, um, in, in ministry. And so we homeschooled. We lived on one income and, um, and she homeschooled our kids from that inner city uh, kitchen table. And, uh, and I worked multiple jobs, cleaned toilets, clean, you know, started a cleaning company, uh, working in detention centers. And, um, and, and eventually the Lord en enabled me to be a public speaker. Um, you know, I, I was asked to testify down at our state house um, uh, on some legislation that would, would give us abstinence education money here in the state. And, uh, and, and I just shared my testimony and, and it was a big hit and, and we got our funding. And, um, and so I started speaking in schools um, all across the state, especially in detention centers and group homes, uh, foster care. Um, didn't speak anywhere but detention centers for eight years, first eight years of my ministry. Um, and, and then that led to national stuff. And, um, um, you know, I started Frontline Youth Communications and that's taken me all over the world, working with kids in Nigeria Bulgaria, Costa Rica, just all over, you know, doing youth development, implementing, uh, designing uh, programs for state, local, federal government. Um, and uh, it, it's just been it's just been an amazing ride, man. And, and it's wow. nothing but the grace of God. I've never been qualified for anything the Lord's led me into. Wow. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it sounds like your faith, but dig deeper. Where, where did that come from? I mean, when you you found out you were about to have a, a child. You're trying to do the right thing, but that is daunting. Like, what, yeah. Yeah. What, when, what, when, what? Um, you know, I had an opportunity, uh, you know, with all this policy stuff that's come up in the last three years, I had an opportunity. I was in D.C. on some um, some national watchdog stuff. Um, you know, Star Parker's Cure was on her uh, clergy network and, um, you know, different groups like that on with sexual health and Protect Child Health Coalition. I was I was in D.C. and I was asked to testify before Congress. And I said, man, what am I going to talk about? You know, how am I going to get my testimony without sharing Christ? He's like, Dave, that's what they want. They want, you know, it's, it's what Bob Woodson always says. You know, if you've got 75 percent of African-American families are living in homes with no father, you know, kids are living in homes with no fathers. Then let's talk to the 25 percent that succeeded where others have failed. And, um, and, I, and I was able to speak before uh, Pelosi and Ilhan Omar, folks that would never be in this particular committee that I was speaking in. They had a film crew with uh, Barbara and everybody in there. And uh, it was just able to talk about how it was God's people, God's power and God's principles that got us through. And, um, and, and man, I, I, it, it's really, that's what it, it, what it was. Her family surrounded us in those early years, her father was a was a veteran and, you know, big boxer type guy. I was scared to death that he was going to kill me. <laughs> and um, and we got very close before he passed. And um, my, my family stuck there with us and, um, and mentored us. And we had some really good church folk. Uh, we had 60 families that homeschooled our kids together. And um, and all of the opportunities that we were in professionally. Uh, our kids followed us into. And so they had all the opportunities that uh, a lot of these wealthy school kids would never get um, because we they had the freedom uh, to follow us into some real things, including detention centers and group homes, uh, you know, preaching at 12 years old, uh, talking about how bad company corrupts good character in a, in a detention center with guys tatted from head to toe. That, that, that does something for a man of God. 
if you can stand with, you know, for your faith in this place, son, you can stand anywhere, especially in that little suburban high school with the wannabes running around. <laughs> so it, it just, um, you know, man, it's, I, I don't want to be over religious or, 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 or super spiritual, man, but it is what it is, man. Um, it's nothing but God's power, God's people and God's principles. Wow. David, when I was looking at uh, some of the topics that you've spoken on and you referenced just a moment ago, sort of sexual health and things related to that, maybe you can educate me and, and, and as a result, you know, our, our viewers. I, I read a statistic, you know, probably six months ago that said something like 80% of all women that work in strip clubs were sexually abused. And I, you know, I, I, that statistic and that that concept and that idea that um, you know our young girls are unprotected in in in, in our communities. You know, d daddy is not around. The statistics you referenced earlier and the impact that has on their lives. Is my statistic? Is that thing? Is that somewhat accurate? What? what where are we on this? You know, to be honest, I, I couldn't speak to that particular statistic. I, I will say that all my work in detention centers um, would, would, would verify that. I would say that my work with um, uh, human trafficking survivors, I, I speak with uh, Dr. Marlene Carson, uh, sits on the advisory council for, for human trafficking uh, in the United States. We, when I'm working with her, she would absolutely agree with that. Um, but not even just that. I mean, when you're dealing with, with the LGBT issue, um, you know, I, I see that uh, almost all the time there's some kind of abuse, physical, emotional uh, abuse that took place, uh, whether in home or outside the home. Uh, it, it is really bad. I think the main statistic in terms of, of, of youth in the country is one in four girls have been sexually abused or molested. Sometimes you hear one in four and then one in five, one in six boys have been sexually abused or molested. Um, and, and a lot of this is related to pornography. A lot of this is related to some of the underlying uh, pathologies that, that our kids are faced with, uh, especially in this time of COVID, when, when, when everything is virtual and online. And um, yeah, you, I share, I share uh, your concern in, in that area. Uh, but fatherlessness is a huge, huge problem. I remember when I first started working with the uh, human trafficking thing, um, I, uh, I was watching a, a documentary on pimps and, and there was and they, they were talking about how pimps will actually um, do, um, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll take them and they'll do an application process. And one of the things they were looking at uh, was, did you have a loving relationship with your father? If they didn't have a loving relationship with their father, they would they would accept that 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 lady. Uh, because they knew when life gets hard here in a minute, you have nobody to run back to. But if, if she did have a good relationship with her father, they would not take that lady because when life got hard, she, they knew they're going to go back to their father, their support system um, for protection. And so, yeah, it, it is a critical issue. And, and unfortunately, speaking of critical or critical race theory, it, it seems like you cannot speak to those issues. Uh, without even as a black man uh, who's got my testimony being called an Uncle Tom or, uh, you know, something of that nature, uh, when these were the things that caused our people to thrive, even in hardships like Jim Crow and slavery. Uh, and, and for black folks with, with degrees right now, y'all know I'm sounding like my mentor right now. 
<laughs> you know, to, to speak against the, the, the things that caused us to thrive, even yeah. when we had these issues, it, it's hilarious to me. It's saddening, honestly. No, no, you're, and you're raising a good point. I mean, someone actually just came at, you know, someone uh, came after me recently saying, you know, th this whole idea of fatherlessness within the black community is a myth. <laughs> and and, and I'm, I'm curious. No, I'm, no, seriously, seriously. No, I mean, look, in order to advance the dialogue, we have to be able to, we have to be able to listen because there, there are people who are, who are genuinely concerned with outcomes for kids. They say it's this is a myth, right? That, that I'm, I'm about to make a killing doing hood tours, uh, and we're gonna all get these people to the hood. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to have them talk to Pop Warner coaches uh, who have to drive minivans because there are no fathers to get their boys to the field. We're going to talk to school teachers um, who 80 percent of their kids are on uh, free and reduced lunch, if not 100 uh, percent, because they live in single uh, mother uh, headed households. Uh, mom's working two and three jobs or worse, mom is on welfare and there's not enough money uh, for that child to even buy a school lunch. I don't know where they get these statistics from, but I've heard those those same uh, those same sentiments before. So what do you so how do you deal with when you when you built Frontline and you create? Well, first of all, why did you create Frontline Youth Communications? Uh, yeah. So yeah, I told you I clean toilets. Right. So we were uh, <laughs> I started a front, um, highly favored cleaning company. Uh, because the little place I was working selling cell phones, they uh, they fired their cleaning person. And so they said, Dave, you mind cleaning? And so my wife and I started cleaning. We brought our babies in there and, and we started cleaning. And then uh, we needed the carpets clean. And so I bought a carpet cleaner. And then I met uh, I met a realtor who had uh, he was a slumlord. And um, and we would clean out those spots. And they said, man, we need this. We need a, de a demolition crew. I said, I got a demolition crew. So I went to the church and I got some young people. <laughs> and uh, we put them jokers in uh, in uh, drug infested homes with needles and uh, and feces and used condoms on, on dirty mattresses and feces in the tubs. And I would take men who were young men who were struggling with alcoholism and struggling with pornography. And I would just give them a trash can and say, go on upstairs and take care of that. And, and, and men would, they would, these young men would weep because without even preaching, they would see the future uh, if, if they did not change their, their behavior. And, um, and so that's where my heart for young people came from. You know, I, the, the guy that when I went to Bible college, man, I, I had a, a mentor and, and I just he would weep every time he preached. And I was so sick of phony fake stuff that those tears were enough to convince me that, man, if I'm going to do this thing, if I'm going to be on the front line of what God is doing in his kingdom and not be a punk Christian like I used to be um, but when I was playing church, I said, it's that kind of man that I want to serve with. And he happened to be in the detention centers. And so that's why I ended up in the detention centers. And I preached my sermon in there uh, with young men who are incarcerated. And so um, none of this is aspirational. None of this is I, I sat down in school. I wanted to be a marine biologist. And my granny told me, boy, you are in the fisher of men, you a fisher. Uh, you ain't a fisher of fish, you're a fisher of men. And uh, she just happened to be right. And uh, and the Lord had a hand in it all. <laughs> wow. Well, you, you know, David, you, in, in your intro, we forgot entrepreneur because clearly uh, as you laid out that chain of events of how you and your wife built that cleaning company, that's exceptional entrepreneurship. And, and well, I definitely celebrate that. That is that's a beautiful story. 
Appreciate it. Appreciate it. So, David, how do we get fathers back in the mix? Yeah. You know, we, um, we just on an encouraging note, I, I work very closely with pregnancy centers across the country, and, and now I'm advocating for policies that strengthen pregnancy centers at the state house um, here in Ohio. Um, one of the things I'm encouraged by is, is, you know, they've been asking me, there's a demand. We need more fathers producing curriculum. We need people to speak into the lives of fathers. Uh, with, with the immigrant communities uh, that, that um, are, are coming into our cities and states, they, uh, many of them, uh, the Nepalis, the uh, Eritreans, um, the Somalis, you know, the, the family structures that they had um, in their homeland are, are, are what they want to carry here, even though they see a breakdown in the family, they still want it and they want, you know, they cherish that value. And, uh, and so it's been, it's been encouraging just being able to minister to so many young men who were just like me, you know, made some poor decisions, didn't understand anything about how, um, how our bodies work, uh, what love is and what it's not and how, what that looks like in a relationship um, when we begin to speak these things and talk about character and, and show them examples, and man, I did it, man, I was just like you, man, and God, God got me through this thing, uh, God's people, God's power, and God's principles, is that, man, they want to hear this message, and then that took me into, into uh, halfway houses where, where I would go in and, and develop programs for guys that were trying to be, um, um, you know, just coming out of prison and, and trying to get back into community, and um, seeing grown men weep. Because now their kids, you know, when they went in, their kids were babies, but now they're 12 and 13 years old and they're seeing little boys come to the house and, you know, they're seeing pornography addictions, the same stuff that jacked them up. And they're hungry and thirsty uh, for this content. I, I think the biggest problem is we don't have enough men that um, will, will, will step out and actually get into the community and get their hands dirty, um, you know, commit to a church, a local body, and, and start a ministry that's reaching out to young men. So I don't see the problem as, as what the world sees the problem as. We have all these men with pathologies. No, we, we've got a lot of men who are lazy, who, who, who um, don't want to take their solution to the people who need them. Um, and for me, I, I think that's the biggest concern from what I'm seeing in the communities. Got it. Wow, you are you are uh, you're an inspiration, man. So so, uh, what are you thinking next? And then and then, Nike, I know we got the uh, the the speed round, but what what's what's next in your journey? Because it sounds like you have aspirations beyond uh, uh, you know what you're doing in Ohio. <laughs> uh, man, it's it's crazy. Like this political stuff, this policy stuff um, came out of nowhere. Um, I was literally in Washington, D.C. Uh, with the SWITCH, which is a national um, anti-trafficking organization, and a group um, that was there, a group of women, actually, that were, you know, saying, listen, Planned Parenthood doesn't speak for us. Um, you know, I was there praying. My daughter was singing. Um, she made a song. And we're, we're sitting there on the, on the National Mall, and we're, we're, we're praying for the Capitol. Somebody snapped a picture, and I'm like, oh, man, that picture's pretty cool. I put it on Facebook. And within a year of that picture, I was testifying before Congress. I was in D.C. probably every other month. Um, again, there was no aspiration. Uh, politics gets on my nerves. Um, I, I'm a grassroots guy. I'm not a political guy. Now I'm over policy for the largest uh, 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 Christian policy uh, organization in the Midwest. <laughs> And, uh, and, and the guy that runs it basically said, Dave, we need people with character. We need people with a story. 
And I, I'd rather have to build a lobbyist than a Christian. And, <laughs> and so, right. and so I, I mean, I, there, I don't know, you know, I get, I get put in front of great people like, like, um, like, you know, Bob Woodson. And I spent a couple of days with him here in Cincinnati last, last week. I, I'm greatly honored and humbled to be in the rooms that I'm in, man. And, and um, I didn't ask for it. Matter of fact, I wouldn't have even taken this position had a prophet not come to our church uh, a month before, called me up to the, to the, uh, to the stage and said, um, I don't even like this guy. He's from California. California preachers get on my nerve, uh, skinny jeans and boots. But he, he, he brought me up to the stage and he said, Dave, um, he said, uh, I know you don't want this, but you see it happening. I'm like, what is he talking about? He said this political stuff. He said, when the phone call comes, say yes because it's God's hand all over it, just like it was before. And like I told you, God started my journey in the schools, testifying before Congress at the State House. He started this new journey a couple years ago, testifying uh, in, in Congress. And so, I, I, again, not trying to be super spiritual. I wish I had some book report stuff to give y'all. But, man, it's, it's nothing but God's grace and leading. Uh, and, and I get to speak to guys like you and, and, uh, and Bob Woodson. And uh, the wisdom that he drops, man, is intense. It was one of the most two in, intense two days of my life, one of the greatest honors of my life, uh, just to be able to drive that guy around, man. Um, I'm, I'm just humbled, man. Mm. No, Mr. Woodson, he is definitely one of our kings. He is he's exceptional. I don't know if you got to see the episode that we did with him. It was one of our first episodes and uh, oh. exceptional, exceptional. In fact, one of our other episodes, David, was with a classmate of, of Ian and I. His name's Cliff Barber. He's based in uh, Chicago and he's been, you know, ran businesses, started companies, lived in London for 17 years. But for the last X number of years, he's been the chief strategy officer for the Archdiocese of Chicago. Oh. And he goes and does ministry uh, in the uh, Cook County jail system. Uh, and just gets so much value from that. He, he's a actually a really fun conversation because he also talks about one parent was Catholic, one parent was Baptist, and the things he learned from sort of both sides of that coin. It was brilliant. But um, so, as Ian referenced, you know, in every episode we have something we call the speed round. Where, you know, I present to you a couple of individuals or concepts, ask you to pick one and tell us why. Um, so we'll start with civil rights or economic development. In terms of what I think is the best. Yes, sir. Okay. Uh, economic development. Um, the, the reason why uh, Mr. Woodson was in town was he had uh, J.D. Vance. Uh, you know, a white brother from um, from Middletown, Ohio, not too far from where I live. And he had uh, Clarence Page, um, you know, from the same town, but uh, 30 years his senior. OK, and they were they were sharing their stories of how they come up and, and found out that um, even though uh, even though uh, Mr. Page was was 30 years before uh, J.D. Vance, J.D. Vance came up a whole lot worse, a whole lot worse. Than, uh, than Mr. Page did. And they were just talking about how the issue is not really race, uh, but class. And, uh, and that we need to, uh, to take that narrative back of everything is, is, is all about race. And, and I think that this is not just on one side or the other. I think that, you know, I was just on the phone call before, before this interview and, uh, you know, talking with a, um, uh, a white lady, she's a social conservative, uh, Southern Baptist, 
And, um, you know, she's Fox, 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 Fox. I said, well, you know, well, the problem is you've got CNN on the left saying that black people are all victims. You know, vic- you know, they're, they're victims. Uh, you know, we need to support them. We need to, you know, stop killing them in the streets. Uh, uh, and then you've got the other side, Fox, saying that, well, no, black people are, are victimizers. You know, you killed more of your own people in Chicago in one weekend um, than, than the police will ever kill or the KKK, for that matter. Um, so you're not victims, you're victimizers. Meanwhile, you got guys like me, guys like you, you know, trying to raise our families, trying to, you know, put food on the table, trying to go to church and start ministries and, and, and uh, you know, be salt and light in the earth. And we are getting spoken over. We have solutions that nobody wants to listen to on either side of the aisle. And mm-hmm. so it's definitely a class thing. And I, and I love what the Woodson Center is doing uh, by getting those 2,500 mothers together who have lost children. Uh, to gun violence and putting them together with uh, with rural uh, families like J.D. Vance's families that uh, lost children to opioid addiction, as well as uh, uh, mothers in, in Silicon Valley who have lost children to suicide, um, bringing all of them together in a way that draws the attention of the masses and we take back the narrative, um, I think is just a power, powerful strategy uh, that the Woodson Center is, is pushing right now. Very good. Next, uh, Malcolm or Martin? <laughs> Man, I'm telling you, uh, at the beginning of uh, COVID, I, I probably had a million breakfasts with young brothers asking me, are you a Mountain brother or a Martin brother? Malcolm or Martin? And, and man, I, I don't know if I should say this here because I meant to ask Mr. Woodson first, but um, uh, I'm definitely a Malcolm brother. I mean, a Martin brother. And so is Malcolm. <laughs> <laughs> when when you talk about when these young guys are asking me, you know, Malcolm or Martin, what they want me to say is that, you know, I'm I'm Martin. That's what they expect me to say. But uh, they're they usually Malcolm because he he had the violent. He was take, you know, by any means necessary, take it by force. But if you think about it, I asked him this question. Um, OK, if he was so violent, what did they ever tear up? You know, the, the reason why, you know, Malcolm started kind of pulling away from from Islam and, the, and Elijah Muhammad was that when his boy got killed, he said, this is the tipping point. This is the time. You know, the brothers are ready. Let's let's rise up. Let's revolt and uh, and start knocking heads. And uh, they said, no, no, we're, we're not going to do it. He was like, wait a minute. What? You know, if you think about who had the violent movement, it was Martin. They were the ones inspiring 80 year olds to eight year olds to go out in the street and get knocked around and, and dogs. You know, they were the ones getting their houses blown up. They were the ones getting beat down in the street. If you talk about who had the most violent movement, it was Malcolm. It's just they weren't the ones that were you know engaging in violence. They were exposing the violence. But, you know, you can't look at, you know, the nation of Islam and say that they had to take it by, you know, no, they stood up in suits and, you know, they, they marched and they did nothing. And uh, and and then when when uh, Malcolm, you know, started speaking and Mahatma Gandhi started speaking into into uh, Malcolm X, uh, you know, he finally started seeing the, the light and he started turning to uh, to be a Martin brother himself. But I can't believe you just asked me that. But that's cool. <laughs> well, our last question of the speed round is uh, Kanye or Jay-Z? Definitely Kanye. And, and I've been studying. Listen, listen. Jay-Z is a Kanye brother. <laughs> he was the one who found him, right? And I've been studying uh, 
I've been studying uh, and, and literally tearing apart his um, his lyrics. I don't know if you ever saw it, but um, Kanye put out a piece uh, in Singapore, I believe it was, right around when his mother passed, um, called Pinocchio Story. And it never made the album. It was more of a cipher when he was on stage. And he broke down the story of his life as Pinocchio, never having a father, never knowing who he was, wanting to be a real boy, um, got caught up in all of the shining lights and everything. And, and meanwhile, as he left his mother at home and, uh, and she died and he wasn't there for her. Um, and, uh, and he said, man, what would it be like to be a real boy? What, could you stand to see yourself on TV, right? see me and see nothing. I mean, it was, it was crazy. You got to look it up. Um, but it's called the Pinocchio story. And I, and I showed that once in uh, in a state conference uh, to, to about a thousand young people. They, they emptied some uh, detention centers. They brought them in, in the state of Georgia and, uh, and kids just begin to weep. Uh, but I used to use his stuff to talk about media. And I made this statement, guys, I said, he is on the brink of death. Either he, it will be a, a natural death by suicide or it will be a spiritual death and he will come alive in Christ. That was probably 10 years ago. And when we see what has happened over the last couple of years, we see how both are still at war with each other. And uh, now this is some amazing questions you guys are picking. It's crazy. Yeah, no, I mean, um, uh, Nike, do you have another one? Nope, that's it. Right. So, David, I mean, it's interesting. The example that you just used, I mean, you using Kanye's image and that story in front of a thousand young people, how do you balance how we make change happen? Because there is there is policy, but then there's cultural shifts, right? How do you get the Kanye's of the world? I mean, Jay-Z's married, you know, had children within marriage, but that's not something that they normally talk about, right? So yeah. how do you get the culture to shift in such a way that it actually can influence behavior now? Uh, you know, I think I think first thing we could do is acknowledge the importance and power of culture, especially in the black community. It's like we have our policy views and then we have our culture views. So, you know, we could be the pastor of a church, but send our daughters to a Jay-Z conference uh, or concert, um, you know, and be completely OK with that. Um, you know, I'd rather support a drug dealer uh, who who. Um, who you know sells drugs to, to 200 people in his community than to support somebody like Jay-Z who's pumping uh, demonic ideologies and uh, suicidal ideologies, self-destructive ideologies, and to multiply millions of kids across the planet and somehow create this division in the mind of a Christian to say that it's okay because it's just culture. Even politics is, is downstream from culture. We have to understand, it was, it was crazy um, when the Lord was leading me down the line of uh, moving out of a career and industry that I was in for 20 some years into more policy uh, you know, and, and advocacy role. I was sitting in a, in a church service, guys, and, and um, I was at the altar. And on both sides of the altar, we have a door. And the Lord just showed me like that the altar became like a stream. I'm a fisherman. I'm a, a hunting fish. And so when you trout fish, the, the, the trout stream is crystal clear and the trout are purple and, and yellow and different reds and they're beautiful. And I saw that the altar was like a, a trout stream and, and Christians were just playing in the trout stream. Kumbaya. And then all of a sudden dead fish started coming down one, two, three at a time through the trout stream. 
And, um, and man, the fish were people and the people of God were just ministering and nursing these fish back to health. But after a while, there were so many dead fish coming down the stream that the people of God became overwhelmed to the point where the people of God had to stop ministering because they themselves were becoming sick. And I started getting frustrated in this vision, like, man, you know, we still having church, but man, shouldn't somebody go up the mountain where somebody's pumping, you know, pollution into the stream? Shouldn't a couple of us go up there, you know, and start dealing with this from a policy issue, from a school issue, you know, from um, a community level issue? Shouldn't didn't somebody get on city council um, and deal with the people who are polluting the streams of our community? Not to say we all got to do it, but shouldn't somebody? And part of the streams that are being uh, uh, polluted, part of that pollution process is culture. And we, we idolize people who are, um, who are killing us and uh, for too long in our community. And I've never been one. I, I, I use Kanye not to build him up, but to use him as a negative example and, and somebody who's self-destructing, but who was raised in the church and who has supernatural insight into culture. I don't feel like anybody has the insight that this brother has, as well as the gifting to be able to communicate to the common man what's going on in culture. Um, that's why he's a billionaire. Um, and, and also the fact that God could redeem that gift, even though that man was a fool at the time, God could redeem that gift just like he could redeem all of our lives as well. Wow. Wow. Um, you just reminded me of the parable of the river. I use that oh. all the time. Yeah. The parable of, in education, it's a, it's a story about babies coming down a river and the town is trying to capture all these babies and not all of them are surviving. And at some point someone says, shouldn't we go upstream? Wow. You know, um, well, David, so uh, we, as you know, Nike and I, you know, we created the Invisible Men 30 plus years ago. And in that process, envisioned this, this young teenager, 16-year-old Daryl, who was hearing all the narratives that, that you've described today. And we wanted to let Daryl know, just like you said, like we're sort of being talked over, that there are these imagery, particularly of black men, what is your message to Daryl? Because, you know, we've talked a lot about the challenges and your inspiration. But think about where you were at 16 years old, where Daryl of today is. What's the best advice you could give to him so he can find his way? Um, in a nutshell, uh, that Daryl can't do it on his own. Uh, Daryl needs God's people, God's power, God's principles, just like I do. Um, I understand pull yourself up by your bootstraps. I, I get that um, personal responsibility for sure. Absolutely. Um, but what happened in, in my wife and I's life didn't happen just because I had a good idea. Um, I didn't have the education. I didn't have the mentorship. I had to find somebody to help me. And, and that was God's people. I had to make the choice. The one thing I had to do was make the choice of, of who was going to who was going to constitute that people group. And thankfully I chose God's people. I had to choose if, if my stinking thinking is getting me in trouble, I need to change that thinking. And my choice was, will I use the wisdom of man or will I use the true wisdom of God? Um, and, and then God's power, you know, I can try to say, well, uh, me being strong or, you know, I can build my body up or I can, I can run marathons and get my endurance up. But, but man, it was the power of God when my kids couldn't afford or we couldn't afford food for my, my children. And they told the doctor told me that my daughter 
um, had a disease that I couldn't even pronounce, Kawasaki's disease. We called upon him for his power uh, to do what we could not. And so it's all, of, you know, all these things are easy. God's people, God's power, God's principles. But as a young man, he has to determine for himself where he will go to fill those three boxes. Will it be God or will it be the world? Um, and, and, I, and I make no small, you know, I, I mentor a lot of young men over the years, um, but I mentor them in the word, even though 99.9% of my work is in the secular world, schools and detention centers and communities all over. Um, um, I take Christ into that classroom, even if it's just through my testimony. Um, they hear it in my passion and they ask me, why do you care? Why do you even give a freak about, about what's going on? You yourself was a teen father. And now, you know, you're going to try to tell this young man that you're speaking of not to do what you did. And, um, and, and one of the things I love to say when, when they ask me that guys is I pick that guy up out of the room and I say, what's your name? And he'll say, Sean. And I'm like, what y'all don't know about Sean is Sean is an avid bear hunter. And Sean uh, in the middle, in the middle of the inner city, <laughs> <laughs> and Sean, when he was 13 years old, was going bear hunting and he saw these two trees and had a big pile of leaves in between the two trees. And he stepped between those two trees and there was a bear trap under there. And boom, it hit Sean's leg and he almost lost his leg. But the ambulance came and, and it saved his leg. And now Sean is 34 years old and he's got Sean Jr. walking right behind him bear hunting. And uh, Sean comes up against that pile of leaves in the trees again. And he looks at it and he says, wait a minute. I know what that is, right? That's wisdom. I'm going to walk over that bear trap. And then he looks back at his son, Sean Jr. He says, man, should I tell him? No, nah, I don't want to be a hypocrite. And so, you know, he let Sean Jr. walk the walk that he walked without any wisdom behind it. Sean Jr. hits that trap and his consequence was worse than even his father's. He lost his leg. Uh, how many would hit up Sean on social media and say, congratulations for not being a hypocrite? I think there's so many fathers that have the right message, that have the right passion, that have the insights, but the fear because pop culture is saying that we're hypocrites if we tell our kids or people we love to, to not do what we did, but that's not hypocrisy, family, that's love. And, um, and, 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 and the world is telling people like that young man you're speaking of that, that affirmation equals um, you know, health and wholeness and love and disagreement equals hate and harm. And, and he needs a community of fathers and men around him to teach him otherwise. I think the best thing that young man can do is attach himself to wisdom, attach himself to power and attach himself to people um, who, who he wants to be like, um, you know, in a nutshell. David, thank you for, thank you for joining us, man. That was inspiring. Thanks I will, for having me. I will forever remember this story of Sean, and, and that was that was I just need to stay out the woods. <laughs> <laughs> Man. All right. Well, Nike, uh, thank you for joining us, uh, David, for another episode of The Invisible Men. Uh, if any of our viewers would like to see all of the episodes, just go to www.invisible.men. David, thanks so much for your time. Pleasure meeting you. Oh, my pleasure. This was a blessing, guys. Thank you. Outstanding. Thanks, man. Peace. Thank you for watching another episode of The Invisible Men. You can find other episodes at the AEI podcast channel on YouTube or the website invisible.men 
or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts.